before we come forward for the imposition of ashes, I'd love for you to reflect with me on this wonderful passage from Isaiah 58. It is a fascinating text, and it is an appropriate text for us to reflect on as we begin this Ash Wednesday into that season of Lent. We're also coming together at a time when there are some pretty dark clouds hanging low over our world. And uh, of course, the most latest and the most distressing thing that we're hearing is this conflict, this war that is going on in, in Ukraine. But even before this war, the clouds were hanging low. Many of us know people who have suffered greatly because of the pandemic, people who have died, people who have experienced tremendous hardship. And so we come today to think about the choices that are ours as those who are disciples of Jesus. And I want you to pray with me over these 40 days that the Holy Spirit would stir within our hearts and within our congregation a desire, and I'm a big believer in desire. So much of what we do, whether good or bad, is based on desire. We don't want to guilt people. We don't want to manipulate people. We don't want to force people. We want desire. So I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would stir within us, within our congregation, a desire to choose what I call, and I'm stealing this line, the path less traveled, the road less traveled, to choose the way. And there is a way that leads to trust, even as the clouds hang low, even as our world is rocking and shaking. There is a path that leads to trust in God. And in choosing that path, then we are saying no to other paths that lead to mediocrity and stagnation and settling. And I think what our Ash Wednesday text does for us, it helps us then to understand the way, the choice, or the choices that are before us. When I think about many of the cars that I've driven over my years, I, I think about times when I ignored certain, certain uh, maintenance that I should have done on the car. And I remember one of the first cars that I owned was driving it, and one day I just noticed that the car kept pulling to the left. It just kept pulling to the left, and I couldn't understand what was going on. And eventually I noticed, <clears throat> excuse me, that the tires were getting worn down. And when I took the car into the mechanic, he said to me, when was the last time you got this car aligned? And that was a new word for me, my first car. And I didn't know how to fully maintain it. And I learned about how important it is to follow the manufacturer's specific maintenance instructions regarding how to care for the tires. This standard maintenance calls for every now and then, depending on how long you have the car, how old the car is, it calls for the adjustment of the angles of the wheels 
according to the manufacturer's specifications. And when these maintenance adjustments are ignored, the car still remains operable, but the tires are misaligned. And over time, as I told you from my experience, the car begins to pull to one side and eventually serious damage, serious damage is done to the car. I couldn't help as I read through many of the Lenten texts, many of the Lenten texts that we will reflect on during this season of Lent. I could not help but see this, this idea of choosing choosing what we will be doing as we go through Lent. And I think the prophet is preaching to Israel about this very matter. They're at the end of their 70 years in Babylon, and you hear these two very distinct voices in the text. I don't know if you noticed that. The first voice, of course, is God's voice. And God says to the prophet, I want you to shout, shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. Many of us, the only time we will shout could be because we're at a ball game or it could be because we're trying to get someone's attention and we cup our hands around our mouth and we will shout because it's important that this person hears us so they can turn around. And I can just imagine the urgency of the moment that the Lord is telling the prophet, this is not a time to whisper. This is a time to shout. But then notice what the Lord says, yet day after day. And there is a, this verse too just drips with sarcasm. Day after day, they seek me. And they delight to know my ways as if, and there's the giveaway, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask, me of, ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near, even near to God. What is God saying? God is saying to us that even though these people are doing certain noteworthy religious practices, something is misaligned. The next voice we hear, it's the voice of the people, and they're not happy, and they are grumbling, as, you know, as we church people like to do, and they're saying, why do we fast, but you don't see? Why are we humbling ourselves, but you don't notice? And their complaint to God was actually a Canaanite kind of complaint that they picked up from the nations around them because it was a calculated strategy designed to sort of provoke the gods, provoke the gods into reacting to their overtures, their religious overtures, their fasting, their, their cutting up their bodies, their putting on the ashes and all that outward religious practice trusting that by doing that they can somehow pressure the gods into doing things for them and they were going through some difficult times they're coming out of the the the, the exile and they're trusting that god will turn things around very quickly 
And whenever I read passages like these, I always say to myself, this is one of the dangers, the hazards of the religious life. Please hear me on this. The hazards of the religious life. I, we, we are still raising three children, adult children. And one of the hazards that I wanted to avoid in my journey with them was to see a Sunday dad, sort of pastor dad, and then a Monday through Saturday dad that had no connection to the robe and the sort of stained glass voice that I would use on Sundays. There's a danger with religion, a danger of trying to use God as some kind of cosmic gumball machine where we insert a prayer, we insert some kind of genuflection, we insert some fasting, and trust that out will come some kind of candy-coated answer. And you'll notice the next voice you hear at the end of verse 3 is God's voice again. And God just exposes them with God's word. Look, or behold, you serve your own interest on your fast day. Oops. And you oppress all your workers. That's what I call a misalignment. Verse 4, look, you fast, great, but only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today, listen to this, will not make your voice heard on high. That's a misalignment. Verse 5, is such the fast that I choose? A day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush? And if you can picture a watery marsh with these reeds that grow up in the water, a marsh, and over time, they kind of just bend over. A bulrush. Is it to bow your head down? Is it to lie in sackcloth and ashes? And in a moment, we're going to be putting ashes on our foreheads. So I say to you, be careful. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And you say, well, what's going on here? Well, again, God is pointing out this huge misalignment. You got the religious practices down, but it's just an external thing. Brueggemann, wonderful Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he calls it a kind of pseudo-holiness. But God says, look, the heavens are silent, and I'm not going to respond on your schedule. God wants them to know that their lives are not aligned with God's standard because of how they treat people. They're not treating people with dignity, with love, with kindness, with justice, with honesty. And yes, they're fasting. And yes, they're doing the religiously appropriate things. But what good is that? The Lord is asking them if your life contradicts your practice. What good is that if your private and your public life needs to be aligned? How you respond to God and how you treat people, it must be aligned. 
We can't speak words of praise to God one minute and then speak words of evil about each other the next minute. You can't be religiously engaged and yet be socially disengaged. Biblical faith rejects that one, that one can have a genuine relationship with God while at the same time live at odds with one's neighbor. Now, when I read verses like these inwardly, I say, ouch, ouch, ouch. Look, the Lord says, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. And I'm not going to hear you today. Is this the fast I've chosen? And of course, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. And the answer is, no, that's not the fast. And so we must, as God's people, as we go into this deeply religious season, we must be mindful to not separate faith from life. Otherwise, our spiritual disciplines will lose their meaning. October 18, 1981. I remember attending my last worship service at my home church, the Glad Tidings Open Bible Church. This was the church where I was baptized. This was the church where I made friends that I have to this day. I was one week away from flying to, to America, and I remember all kinds of feelings were stirring within me. This mixture of fear, fear of the unknown, sadness because I was leaving so much of the familiar behind, and then excitement because I felt like there would be new opportunities opening up for me. I remember my pastor, Pastor Lou. Offering what today, I, I didn't have that language back then, but today I would call it a commissioning prayer. And he said these words to me, and I still remember them. He said, Renard, don't allow your faith in God to grow cold. And he talked about how many immigrants from Jamaica, and maybe not just from Jamaica, but immigrants from all over the world, will move to America and become spiritually dead and cold. Immigrants who come to this country pursuing the American dream, they exchange that deep, homegrown faith in Jesus for the material comforts and the pursuit of money. And uh, I'll use an old-time word that you guys may, may not even know anymore. They backslide. Remember that word? Pastor Lou said to me, never settle for the status quo. Never settle. Now, my dear pastor is dead and he's gone home to Jesus, but I still remember his words. And I've been living in this country now for, for several decades and I, I, I still ask the Lord to help me. I, it's hard to sing that song that we just sung a while ago. I will Rejoice in you, my Savior. You're the wellspring of my soul. I will trust in you and no other. My soul is satisfied in you alone. You are my Redeemer. You're my greatest treasure. That's what I've always wanted long before I ever came to this country. And I asked the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to not lose my way. I don't want to settle and there's a feeling as you read Isaiah 58 that these folks had kind of settled. They had settled for sort of the, the husks of religion. As long as I get the outside right, that should be good. God should hear me. God should do something. 
I'm wondering if you ever settle. You know, to settle has many meanings. Sometimes we settle and it means we accept things the way they are. And so when I came to America, I settled. I settled in New York. Then I left and I settled in Indiana. And now I'm settling in Chicago, Illinois. But the word settle can also have a negative connotation. Where today when people say don't settle, what they mean is don't, don't accept defeat. Don't, don't compromise. Don't, don't settle for the bare minimum. Don't give in. When we settle, at least in that negative sense, we stop moving. And we have things under control the way we like it without whether or not things are lined up with what God likes and what God wants for us. And that's the idea behind this whole Lenten theme that we're going to be exploring, is that we as God's people would not settle, but we would pick up our cross over these 40 days and follow the Master all the way to Golgotha. And it's costly, trust me, trust me, it is costly. But what did Jesus say? That if we try to save our lives, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our lives for the sake of Jesus, we're going to find it. And so I pray that as a people of God here at First Prayers, we will never settle for a life that claims love for God and doesn't stand for people. May we never settle for a kind of transactional faith where, okay, God, I hope you're watching me. I'm doing all these things over here, so now you better come through for me. I want you to imagine over these 40 days of Lent that we as a church are on the journey with Jesus and I want you to imagine yourself over these 40 days praying and fasting, praying for your neighbor, praying for Ukraine, praying for what's broken and what needs to be fixed in America and using what we've been talking about over the month of February for some of you who are still wanting to sort of have a, 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 a way of entering into prayer, to pray prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, and then to listen to God. Pray that this season of Lent, we would pray. And then as we listen to God and God speaks to us, we will then rise up and we will take action. We will pray and we will act. So this Lent, let's not talk about what we're giving up, right? So eat all the chocolate you want. I'm not going to ask you to give your chocolate up. But what about what we're going to take up? We're going to take up a life of faith that is aligned with listening and doing, praying and acting inward and outward. What would it look like if we did that during this season of Lent? So I encourage you to use those Lenten texts. I went on the website with the help of Jim this afternoon and just did a wonderful job laying out the entire Lenten journey for our church and for our community. And I would encourage you to visit our website 
And maybe you could take some of those Lenten passages and use them in your small group and use them in your personal life. And may God help us as we align our lives between what we believe and what we do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and God's children say, Amen.